Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Today's passage includes, concludes with one of Jesus's most interesting phrases. Many are called, but few are chosen. I don't know about you, but I find it particularly abrupt and peculiar to find these words at the end of this parable. Why? Because I'm not really sure who is or isn't chosen in today's parable. The only other place that I'm aware that these words occur in the Bible, many are called but few are chosen, is as part of the conclusion of another parable that Jesus tells. That parable about how the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding feast is found a couple of chapters later, also in St. Matthew's Gospel. Jesus says that parable, along with several others, to the Jews who are challenging his authority. And just before Jesus speaks the parable of the wedding feast, St. Matthew notes that the chief priests and Pharisees recognized that Jesus was talking about them in the parables he was saying. And St. Matthew also tells us that although the chief priests and Pharisees were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. In that parable, the wedding feast parable, the king is throwing a, a wedding feast for his son. And he sends out his servants to call those who were already invited, but they don't come for a variety of reasons. So the king asks instead that the servants gather everyone they find, both good and bad, and fill the wedding hall with guests. And yet there's this one guest there that's found who doesn't have a wedding garment. And the king has him bound and cast into outer darkness, where it says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And there, at that very moment, is when Jesus says, for many are called, but few are chosen. In that parable, I think it at least seems much clearer what Jesus is trying to say when he says, for many are called, but few are chosen, as they're clearly folks who refuse the king's invite and those who have come to the feast unprepared. And given the context, it seems likely that Jesus was trying to say that some of the high priests and Pharisees may have been amongst those called, but not chosen. However, today's parable about the laborers in the vineyard is not so clear cut. Who is chosen? At every hour, the householder hires those he finds idle. We don't hear that anyone says to him, no thanks, but I'd rather laze around here in the marketplace. So are we to presume that some refused his offer? I don't think so. But what is it that Jesus is trying to tell us here? Well, first, I think we have to hear the same thing that those listening that day to Jesus nearly 2,000 years ago would have heard when he said, for many are called, but few are chosen. Here, we cannot take the literal translation presented in our Bibles at face value. Smarter people than I tell us that the words for many do not mean what we think they do in the plain reading of the text, and instead are just a common manner of speaking in Aramaic or Hebrew to say for everybody or for all. And the same smart people tell us that few also isn't meant to mean a small number, but merely in contrast to the many. 
such that a better translation would be fewer. Thus, to hear those words as a first century person listening to Jesus would have heard them, it would have been something more along the lines of, all are called, but fewer are chosen. So I'm here first to assure you that you are most definitely called. That's the first part of the good news today. Jesus is calling you. Just imagine that icon of Jesus over there with Jesus has his finger pointed at you like Uncle Sam saying, I want you. I want you to labor in my vineyard. But what are we all called to? No matter when we start to work, no matter the state of our heart, we're all called to receive the same wage. In that parable, that wage was translated into English as a penny. That was a denarius. And that was the going daily wage for a laborer. Those who started later in the day were told that they would receive a right or a just wage too. And they would have expected that to have been cut appropriately by the amount of the day they worked. As expected, all the laborers were paid at the end of the day, as Levitical law dictates that laborers should not have their wages held overnight. So knowing all of that, how can we begin to interpret this parable? Well, it seems that the vineyard owner is God, and that the day is either the span of time from creation until the judgment, or perhaps simply one person's life from birth to death. Either way, whether they are various ages of God's revelation or are the eras of our personal salvation history, the hours represent some progression through them until judgment comes. The marketplace is the world that we're called from, and that denarius represents the gift of eternal life that God gives to each and every one of us for our labor in his vineyard. Some of the fathers even note that the denarius bore, like other coins, the image of the emperor, and that likewise, those who will be saved must receive and bear the image of the Son of God. And finally, I note that the denarius, which I'm suggest suggesting represents our eternal life in Christ, is just the ordinary daily wage. I believe that's the second part of the good news. Not only is Jesus calling you, but he's also telling you that eternal life from him is not something extraordinary, but something ordinary. And that alone seems extraordinary, doesn't it? Jesus calls us all to eternal life. So then how can it be that fewer are chosen? Who is doing the choosing? And should we be worried that we might be among those who are not? Although it may seem like God is the one doing the choosing, that doesn't appear to be how it worked in the parable of the wedding feast. In the case of the wedding feast, those who appear to have not been chosen were those who had been invited but chose themselves not to accept the invitation to join the feast. The person found without the wedding garment appears to not have prepared himself to come. And although in today's passage, as I've already noted, it seems to leave open the question as to who in the story may not be chosen, I think it would most likely be those who worked first and the longest, but were paid last, and the same as those who, who were paid the same as those who worked the least. Because what do we hear they did? They grumbled about it. They grumbled about it. And in a certain sense, I think most people see this story as rather unfair. However, we see something amazing about God in the story. 
So maybe there's even more good news to unpack in this parable if we have the eyes to see. And I think that's that God is not only the great equalizer, he's the great equilibrizer. That's not even a word, but here I go. What's the difference between equality and equity? If you ever Googled that, you've probably seen a picture of an adult, a child, and a toddler standing at a relatively low wooden fence trying to watch a baseball game. So picture this. Equality means that everyone gets the same size box to stand on. Now, the adult didn't need a box at all. He was already taller than the fence and could see the game just fine. For the child, the box raises him up enough to get his eyes over the fence so that he can see the game. But for the poor toddler standing on the box, he can't see any better. Yeah, he's now higher, but he's just staring at the wall in a higher place. He can't see through it. In contrast, equity means the adult doesn't get a box at all because he doesn't need one. And instead, that box goes to the toddler, who now, with two boxes, can also see over the fence just as well as the adult and the child. Today's parable, instead of contrasting equality and equity, shows that in God's world, it's a both and. Everyone gets the same thing, a denarius. That's equality. And yet everyone is brought to the same level eternal life in the joyous kingdom of the Lord. That's equity. So God is not only the great equalizer, he's also the great uh, equilibrizer. Yeah, I should have made up a word. That's why we don't have that word, I guess. But anyway, to receive that reward, we must engage in the fair and equitable work that the Lord offers That's how we accept the invitation to join him in his kingdom at the eternal marriage feast of the Lamb. And what is that labor? Well, today is Septuagesima Sunday. That's also a mouthful. One of the uh, three pre-Lenten Sundays that the church provides us to prepare for Lent, which is itself a season of preparation for Jesus' passion, death, and glorious resurrection on Easter Sunday. Starting on Ash Wednesday in about two and a half weeks, the church calls us to a season of increased fasting, prayer, and almsgiving. Today is the day to start that preparation. The labor of the vineyard is to bring forth fruit, right? It's to bring forth sweet fruit with plenty of sugar to make delicious grapes and ferment some excellent wine. But getting to the harvest takes a lot of work. Got a plan Plant, prune your vines, manage them to keep the crop at the proper height, mulching, weeding, pruning the vines, protecting them from disease and pests, and carefully considering when's the right time to harvest the grapes. And even the harvest itself is a lot of work. Months of work by a lot of people goes into the production of an excellent crop of grapes. And that fruit isn't just for the growers and the farmhands, right? They hopefully produce plenty, so much so that they have, uh, some, have to find some ways to preserve some of it, have to find ways to make, uh, whether that be jelly or wine, and then to have plenty to sell and share with others. So the labor of Lent is the labor of the Lord's vineyard. It has many analogies to the vineyard just described. We have 
many weeks of labor during Lent to tend to the soil of our hearts, to till that into fertile soil, to work on the weeds we find there, to do everything we can to facilitate the growth of good fruit, so that by the time we get to Easter, we have a beautiful and bountiful harvest. The Easter joy is offered to all, death overcome, life eternal, freely given. We all get the same gift, and yet somehow it's also mysteriously completely equitable for none of us is able to obtain it for ourselves. We all need an infinite-sized box to stand on, no matter how righteous we are to enter the wedding feast. But when we hear this parable, I know many of us still start to grumble. By human standards, something seems unfair, unequal here. Didn't those who worked longer deserve more? Well, I'm here to tell you that those who labor longer do get more. Because the reward isn't in just what God gives us, but in the fruit we produce through that labor. So if we ever think God's treating us unfairly by giving us just the same gift of eternal life as everyone else, no matter how hard we work, let us remember the labor is rewarding in itself. Because the longer we spend working in the vineyard of our souls, the greater the fruit we will bear. The more work we put in, the freer we will become from the cares of the world that hold us down. The more we work, the greater the joy of Christ we will bring to those around us. The more work we put in, the more we will see God's love fill our lives, even though that love has always been there. We just needed to dust off the dirt from our souls to see it. For Jesus himself tells us that he came not just that we may have life, but to have it abundantly. And how much you labor in the vineyard will assuredly determine how abundant your life is in the here and now. So I urge you, my brothers and sisters, to get ready to work this upcoming Lenten season. And in return, I promise you will re reap rewards in equal measure. If you need ideas or want to discuss your plans with me, it would be my pleasure to talk with any of you about them. And I pray that you will use this upcoming Lent to not only have life, but to have the abundant life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.